0: Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Monday, October second, and people, I am so happy to be back on the mic with you. What a week! What an absolute treat of a week in the NBA this past week. You know, this this week of content was like a a pool in the middle of the content desert, man. We were. We were grasping at straws. We're we're doing rankings, right? I thought I was gonna have to open this podcast talking about how James Harden made some girls in the club hold up a sign that said Daryl Morey is a liar. You know, scaring scaring the women in the club like never before. No, I do not have to talk about that. I don't have to. I don't have to mention that at all. But here I am talking to you guys because we had not one but two blockbuster trades within the past you know, four or five days at this point that I think really changed the outlook of the NBA for next season. Uh, It affects my team, the Boston Celtics, and I think two other teams that really have a chance of contending for a championship as well. Uh, So yeah, we got a lot to talk about, guys. Let's not waste any time and let's dive right into it. So First and foremost, as you guys I'm sure all saw at this point, Damian Lillard was traded. Finally, the standoff between Damian Lillard and the Blazers front office is over, and he was shipped out to join the Milwaukee Bucks. So let's quickly, before I give you my thoughts on the deal, and I am going to go through and give the details of both deals, and then we can talk about all four of the teams involved from in these two deals at the end, but let's just start off by running through the first deal and talking about what was included. So the Milwaukee Bucks, they received just Damian Lillard. The Phoenix Suns were involved in this deal as well, receiving Joseph Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson, who is expected to be waived at the time of recording. Portland Trailblazers received Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Tumani Kamara, who is a second-round pick of this past year's draft, so not a lot of high expectations for him, as well as the Bucks' 2029 first-round pick, which was unprotected, and then two pick swaps between the Bucs and the Blazers uh, slated in for 2028 and 2030. But that was not it. Of course, there was a second deal that took place right when I was about to record yesterday. Yesterday was Sunday. Uh, I was literally sitting down to record when I got the news that True Holiday was being sent over to the Boston Celtics. So that was deal two. Again, Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics, which, spoiler alert, I am extremely excited about as a biased Celtics fan here. Um, and in that deal, the Blazers received further compensation for Drew Holiday in the likes of Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, the 2024 Warriors first-round pick. So again, the Warriors pick in this upcoming NBA draft in June, as well as a 2029 first-round pick of the Boston celtics so that's a lot to unpack here so again we have four different teams involved in these two different trades Uh, we are going to save portland for last because i think it makes more sense to evaluate both of these deals together but let's first and foremost dive in and talk about this trade from the outlook of the milwaukee bucks i'm going to start off and say that overall i love this move for the milwaukee bucks and and let's talk about why First and foremost, even before we even get into what this does for the Bucs as a basketball team, I think this was the right move, if not for nothing else, but to make Giannis happy. Now, I might have been off base a little bit with my comments on Giannis in my previous episode at the time uh, of recording my last episode about a week and a half ago. You know, there were reports that Giannis was applying some pressure on the front office to win. He had mentioned that, like, hey... You know, as much as I love being in Milwaukee, I'm a winner first. And if this team is not contending for championships and this isn't a team I want to be on, Um, basically had a comment along the lines of that. And the Bucs took that seriously, right? Uh, Really, you know, I thought Giannis was completely within his rights as a all-world talent and superstar player to put pressure on the front office. Again, we've seen other superstars do this before, but Giannis has really only done this twice in his tenure in the NBA. And both times, the Bucs front office has responded immediately and in a major way. Um, and so the first time they did this, if you guys remember, it was actually in 2020. Uh, Giannis had some similar comments that resulted in the Bucks trading away guard Eric Bledsoe away to the New Orleans Pelicans for Drew Holiday. And obviously, there were some other pieces involved in that deal but that was actually a massive push for the bucks to obviously get over the hump and later winning the 2020 2021 NBA title with holiday as the second or third best player on that team and then again, here we are in 2023. Giannis applies pressure. Um, the offense looked a little bit stagnant at times. It looked like they were in desperate need of another, you know, ball dominant player, a half court offense creator. And there's really nobody more qualified in the entire league to do that than Damian Lillard. Again, let's just start off on what the Bucks gave away. You know, they gave away a first round pick. They gave away a couple pick swaps, as well as Drew Holiday to receive Damian Lillard. And I think the juice is worth the squeeze. Now. You know, as we all remember, right, you know, Milwaukee was bounced in five games to the Miami Heat in the first round of last year's playoff in pretty embarrassing fashion. Now, obviously, Giannis was a bit banged up in this series, but I think what stood out to me the most was that, A, I felt like the Bucks were still talented enough to win that series, even with Giannis at less than 100%. And B, where they really suffered the most was getting a good look at the end of games. In both, I believe, games four and five, if I'm remembering correctly, um, you know, the Bucks had a massive lead in which they folded in the fourth quarter. The offense became stagnant. You know, Coach Bud was you know, kind of just standing there, not calling any timeouts, didn't seem to have any answers to stop the run. It didn't seem like they had an ability to create easy shots. And then, of course, at the very end of game five, You know, they were completely scrambled on the last possession. Giannis is literally on the ground at one point, and Coach Bud is still not calling a timeout. And the ball actually hits Grayson Allen's hands, who doesn't even get up a shot. Those are all, you know, things that you can point the finger at a bunch of different people, including Giannis, including Coach Bud, of course. But that being said, if you have Damian Lillard on your team in those situations, that does not happen. You have a primary ball handler that has, you know, range upwards of 30 feet, where if he's open... You know, he can take that shot and the, and the other team is terrified. What he is going to be able to do to, you know, command pressure to create in the half court, um, what he is going to be able to do to draw the defense out beyond the arc is going to be massive for this Milwaukee Bucks. I expect their offense to take a extremely significant leap, especially when you include how deadly the Dame and Giannis pick and roll can be. Uh, It's going to be pretty ridiculous. It seems like Dame and Giannis have some sort of relationship. I don't know how close they are. You know, there were some clips that surfaced of Giannis uh, picking Dame with his first pick in the All Star draft, actually, conveniently enough, over Drew Holiday, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, Obviously, this deal doesn't get done if Giannis doesn't sign off on it, right? I'm sure he loved Drew as a teammate as well. But I do think that this raises a ceiling of the Milwaukee Bucks team. Um, You know, obviously they are taking a massive downgrade defensively. Uh, That's kind of an understatement because I, I do believe that Drew Holiday is the best guard defender in the entire NBA and Dame, you know, especially at his age and how undersized he is, I think. You know, he's probably a bottom 10 defender in the entire NBA. So there's quite the difference there, Uh, you know, when they play a team like Phoenix and who's going to guard Devin Booker, right? Those are things that come to mind when you're thinking about, you know, the path of the Milwaukee Bucks and having a guy like Drew Holiday who can just kind of lock down the other team's best guard each and every night. Now, what I will say is, of course, the Bucks had some other Defensive Player of the Year candidates on their team last year, namely Brooke Lopez and, of course, Giannis. Those guys as rim protectors are so impressive that I still think they are going to have a solid defense, but they're going to feel that pressure on the rim a lot more when there's not a guy like Drew Holiday stopping drives from the outside, really throwing people off his game. Uh, so there is going to be a major a major change for the Bucks defensively, right? Um, I, I would expect somebody, maybe them to pick up a defensive stopper at some point later in the season. Uh, maybe somebody, you know, kind of steps up off the bench and, you know, Pat Connington improves this perimeter defense. Maybe they, you know, get a defensive minded point guard to come in uh, and spend. Bell, dame at times just to help get them stops when they need it the most but as much of a downgrade as it's going to be defensively I think this is a massive move for the Milwaukee Bucks I think they are much scarier to basically every other team to play against in general I think the Bucks made themselves a much better offense and a much better team overall you kept Giannis happy and you really calmed any nerves about him you know looking to find a different team to play on uh within the next couple of years so as a as a whole I think this is a massive win for the Milwaukee Bucks Now, we do have to move on to probably the least discussed team out of the four that were involved in these deals. But I do think this is super relevant because this is a team that can win the NBA title and come out of the Western Conference. And I'm, of course, talking about the Phoenix Suns. I absolutely despise this move for the Phoenix Suns. I hated it when it happened. Then I kind of took a sec and was looking at it like, okay, maybe they needed some depth. Maybe this isn't as bad as I thought. And then I took a deeper dive at the pieces they received in this deal. And I was like, why are they even involved in this? Let's quickly rewind and remind you guys of what the Suns received in this deal. Uh, again, they received uh, Joseph Nurkic. They received Grayson Allen. Nasir Little, and of course, Keon Johnson, who again is expected to be waived if he has not been already at the time I am recording this podcast, so we might as well not even talk about him. Let's focus on Nurkic, Grayson Allen, and Nasir Little. Of course, the big piece that Phoenix gave away in this deal was DeAndre Ayton, and I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about Aiden. We have our guy Brendan Clean uh, of the Lockdown Suns podcast come on a couple weeks back, and it, I, it was pretty apparent that he was not the biggest fan of DeAndre Aiden. He basically laughed at me when I suggested the idea that the Suns could actually have four-star players, um, you know, to have Aiden go along with Beal, Booker, and, of course, um, Kevin Durant as well. Uh, that being said, I still think that you know DeAndre Ayton has a lot of potential. I, I don't think many people would disagree with that. Obviously, he's shown flashes and just the physical presence that he's shown throughout his career is, is is significant, especially when we're talking about a center position where, as I just talked about a couple of weeks ago, there aren't many true difference makers at the center position. And I still think DeAndre Ayton has a chance to be one of those difference makers. But Let's let's look at this fairly. Right. He obviously had some issues with Monty Williams. You know, he basically sat out of the final game of their season last year in which they got completely cleaned up by the Denver Nuggets. Um, I know that there's obviously been some contention in the locker room surrounding DeAndre Ayton. But I felt like a lot of those worries were kind of put on hold or put to the side when the, the Suns decided to make a coaching change, moving away from Monty Williams, moving on to Frank Vogel. I felt like it would at least be beneficial for the Suns to start off the season and see what they have. You know, they already have all these changes right now. Bradley Beal a part of the team. You have a full off season with Kevin Durant as well. You know, you already have so much change going on in your locker room. Why not just see what you have? And I truly believe that the best version of DeAndre Ayton, I don't even think you can make an argument that the best version of DeAndre Ayton would make them a better team than what they received back in compensation from Portland in this situation. Frank Vogel has a history of being a really smart, defensive-minded coach. And at the center of all of his great defenses, there has been a big man in the middle who has kind of protected the rim. And I certainly think that DeAndre Ayton had the potential to make a leap defensively and he certainly fits the mold of guys like Roy Hibbert in the past for for Frank Vogel I know that that seems like a lifetime ago with how different big men were in the NBA just a little over 10 years ago right you had guys like Anthony Davis who was obviously an integral part of the 2020 Lakers championship that was led by Frank Vogel I really I just feel like starting off again starting off the season with DeAndre Ayton seeing what you have seeing if Frank Vogel can make him take that leap because the biggest question I have about this deal is if you're the Suns, what was making you do that deal right now? Like, why did you want to help out Portland and offloading Dame? Why did you want to help out the Bucs now become an even more, even more of a threat coming out of the East? Like, why were you in such a rush to help those teams and do that deal now? Are, are you really telling me that that deal to get, you know, at the end of the day, Joseph Nurkic, uh, Nasir Little, and Grayson Allen wouldn't have been there in three months? Like, I just find that so hard to believe. Now, I think I've said enough on Aiden. I think you guys understand that I'm still a believer. He's still very young. I know the contract isn't pretty. Uh, but again, I think the Suns would be better off to just holding him and then seeing where they're at in a couple months. And if, if he's still unhappy, he's still causing a problem in the locker room. By all means, get rid of that guy. But you might as well at least start the season and, and see what you have in him. Now, the people that they received back in this deal, again, Joseph Nurkic, um, obviously, he was a player for, for Portland the past several seasons. I I, I don't want to bash the guy too bad. I know that he's taken uh, a beating in the media over the past couple seasons because he is a massive liability defensively. Uh, I, it does just kind of seem like Portland wanted to get rid of him. I think they kind of looked at him as a negative asset. Um, I know he's pretty talented. He's, you know, a pretty good playmaker for a big man, right? He actually shoots a three ball uh, at a pretty much of, uh, at a better clip than DeAndre Eden. So maybe you could make an argument that offensively it's actually an upgrade over Over Aiden, again, I'm just trying to see the logic from Phoenix's point of view here. Um, I know that I don't think that they would ever even argue that Nurkic for Aiden is a a direct one-on-one upgrade, but they must have at least saw something there to be like, hey, well, we're kind of breaking even at the center center position, and then we're adding a little bit of depth, and then, you know, we're taking out this cancer of the locker room if Aiden really is that bad. But I I guess that's kind of the spin on Nurkic is that he thinks he makes your offense better. But if you're Phoenix, like, why are you even remotely worried about being able to score the ball? I'm not worried about Phoenix being able to score the ball. You have Bradley Beal. You have Devin Booker. You have Kevin Durant. All you need is some people to make some open shots beyond those guys. And honestly, I like Aiton's offensive game too. I'll say it again. He's a big body that can roll to the basket. I'm pretty comfortable with him taking like 10 footers from the elbow. Like, you know, he's been pretty consistent with that shot. Um, I just think that Aiton would have been better for them on offense as well. But let's talk about why Phoenix did this more so than anything else, right? I, I guess that they... If you're Phoenix, you value the depth that you got. Like, I know that they're extremely thin right outside of the the top three guys that I named. Um, you know, they got guys like Josh Koji who they're hoping can step up to do a big role. Like, we, we talked to Brendan, who mentioned Kata Bates-Diop a few times. They took a flyer on Bull Bowl as well. Like, again, there isn't a lot of pedigree coming off that bench. And I'm not telling you that they should not have addressed their depth in one way, shape, or form. But is getting Grayson Allen, in addition to getting a, a worse center in return, really worth the squeeze? Like... Yes, Grayson Allen has been in a lot of big games, right? And he does shoot the ball at a 40% clip from three, but he's still undersized, right? He's only six foot four. He's not going to be your perimeter stopper. He's not going to lighten the defensive burden of a Devin Booker or a Bradley Beal during the regular season, or even if he tries, he's not going to do so effectively. And honestly, again, I, I would know a thing or two about playing against the Bucs in the playoffs like we've done it many times, is watching my Celtics, watching my favorite team play against the Bucs time and time again. I'm not scared of Grayson Allen at all. I, I'm really not. I'm sure he's had some big moments. I'm sure he's had some big shots. But in general, he was, like, the number one guy in the Bucks rotation where, like, if he was left open in the corner, I was like, all right, you know, like, I, I guess I'd rather him, you know, I'd rather Giannis take an open three or whatever. But beyond that, like, it's not a good shot. I'm not scared as a fan when when Grayson Allen gets the ball. And that's that kind of says everything you need to know on him. You know, as far as Nasir Little Um, You know, this guy, I think he averaged about like six points a game last season for a terrible Blazers team and was basically in and out of the rotation all year. So maybe they saw some flashes of potential with him where I know, you know, he was a decent prospect coming out of the draft where they think they can rejuvenate him and make him, you know, another option to fill that you know, wing spot where he can come in and get some stops and hopefully make some corner threes. Maybe see Phoenix seems something there, but I I can't imagine that he was any sort more than like an afterthought of this deal. Like, again, I really think it came down to getting the depth that you knew of in Grayson Allen, along with Joseph Nurkic. But again, I just really cannot stand this move for Phoenix. I, I can't say it enough times. I feel like if you took DeAndre Ayton and really put him on the market and really shopped him around out there, I'd find it really hard to believe that you couldn't get a, A, a better option than Joseph nurkish to plug in as your starting center, and B, somebody more proven and somebody more fitting to what the Suns need rather than Grayson Allen. Because again, I think that they would do better with a guy like uh, Jay Crowder, who I know was on the Phoenix Suns, you know, to start last season, right? They need a guy that is more proven as a defender, right? A little bit more size to him that can really, again, lighten the load on Devin Booker, lighten the load on Kevin Durant. Um, I think a wing piece like that could have some value, but I don't think Grayson Allen is that guy. And I don't understand why Phoenix was in such a rush to move DeAndre Ayton. You know, maybe that there's some more information that comes out within the next couple of weeks of talking like, you know, basically like the hit piece on DeAndre Aiden that somebody with the Suns organization or somebody close to the organization puts out because they need to defend this move. But I just, I don't see why Phoenix would rush into it. And it it really is a big deal because, you know, before this deal, I would have said Phoenix is hands down the second best team in the West behind Denver, the defending champs. And you know i still think that they're probably there because of how much offensive talent they have and how much i believe in guys like kevin durant and devin booker but huge question mark from the suns there but let's talk about this deal from the perspective of the boston celtics so again this deal went through yesterday on october 1st in which the celtics received drew holiday in exchange for robert williams malcolm brogdon the 2024 warriors first round pick so again Golden State's pick in the upcoming draft, as well as a 2029 Celtics first round pick that is unprotected. I just want to say that I love this move for the Celtics, and I love the fact that Brad Stevens is all in on this season because I believe that he should be. Now, after the loss to Miami, I was really starting to question the pairing of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, obviously Jalen was pretty terrible in that series. I'm not going to deny that. But it wasn't necessarily because I didn't think these guys could work and I didn't think that they made sense together or whatever. I still felt like two dominant wings that are two-way players is a great way to build a basketball team. Almost any general manager in the league would tell you that. Uh, But it was really just because I felt like the situation last year, the league was as open as it was ever going to be, in my opinion, right? Like, the Celtics had a pretty easy path to the finals, right? Like, they didn't have to go through Milwaukee. You know what? They played Atlanta in the first round. They played Philly in round two, which obviously was pretty competitive for a round two series, right? Before moving on to an eight seed in the Eastern Conference Finals, like... I just thought it was wide open for them, and honestly, I didn't really see a situation in which the supporting cast and the surrounding role players, you know, around Tatum and Brown was going to be better than last year. But again, I, I was wrong on that. I feel like Brad really, you know, decided to pony up for this season. And while we did lose some depth that I'm going to talk about in a second, our starting five for next season is unquestioned better than what it was in last season. So again, you know, this would. You know, just to kind of put things in perspective, our upcoming lineup for this season is projected to be, you know, Drew Holiday at the one, Derek White at the two, those guys making up the backcourt, either way you want to put it. Of course, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Christoph's Porzingis as the man in the middle, and then Al Horford being the first guy off the bench. I think that would be the lineup that we roll with when everybody's healthy. I think that would make the most sense during the regular season. But this team is absolutely loaded. Obviously, again, the depth we're going to talk about here in a second. But let's just kind of take a, a look back at the trade. We got to talk about some of the guys that we gave up. Rob Williams, you know, really loved watching him over the first, what, five years of his career. Um, he was a stud when healthy, right? He was a, a really special defensive player and a really special athlete, you know, played so much better than 6'9", or whatever he's listed at you know obviously wish him nothing but success for the portland trailblazers if that's where he ends up staying um you know malcolm brogdon who you know we picked up for for cheap you know real cheap last year and was a massive part of the team you know i think for parts of the season you can make an argument that he was actually our best guard winning the sixth man of the year unfortunately for brogdon you know he's always been plagued with injuries and and it just you know, unlucky for him. He was injured in the time in which we needed him the most. He got hurt at the start of the Miami series. It affected, like, his elbow on a shooting arm, and he was just completely trash shooting the ball and um, was honestly a liability to have out there offensively. And, you know, it's just, you know, wrong place, wrong time for Brogdon, but he did have a really solid season for the team. We're able to flip those guys who are, you know, let's face it, both of those guys are, are basically always injured, you know, statistically, you know, whatever model you look at would probably tell you that we're going to be missing one of those guys for a good portion of the playoff run, you know, a, a good portion of that stretch run between April and June in which, you know, that's what we're playing for, right? We're not playing, you know, for good regular seasons. We're not, you know, playing for, for the months between, you know, October and, and March, right? We're playing to win a championship. And I think this team understands that and we decided to make the risk in turning those two assets into one asset that I believe is a top 10 point guard in the league in drew holiday. If I know he doesn't necessarily fit the point guard mold and positions don't really exist anymore anyway, but what I will tell you hands down is I think he's the best guard defender in the NBA. You know, he's already a player that's proven that he can be a second or third, whatever you want to call him on that 21 bucks team. You know, he was a top three player on a team that won a championship uh, pretty comfortably. And so I am very high on Drew Holiday. We've seen how talented he is, how many massive plays he's made against the Celtics alone over the years. Like when he completely took over, you know, what was that game five last year where um, he had a, a massive strip on Marcus Smart, like completely altered the game. We didn't even get a shot up to potentially tie the game. And it felt like we were going to lose that series. You know, Drew Holiday has countless plays against the Celtics. People in Milwaukee love him. You know, I think we're going to love him here in Boston. You look at the offseason in totality. We shipped out four really talented players and, and and players that were massive parts of our rotation last year, right? We lose Marcus Smart, we lose Malcolm Brogdon, we lose Grant Williams, and we lose Rob Williams. And in return, we really are only getting back two You know, players that we can confidently say will be a part of our rotation in Christophs Porzingis and Drew Holiday. Now, I am a Peyton Pritchard guy. I do believe that Peyton Pritchard was in a really tough spot last year. I think he would have played on, you know, basically 29 other teams last year. But he really didn't play super consistently on the Celtics because we did have three really solid guards in front of him. Now there's really only two guards in front of them. And I expect both of those guards, again, Drew and Derek White, to be in the starting lineup. So that would make Peyton Pritchard the first guard off the bench. I think in some matchups, you might see us start both bigs. And then, you know, Derek White might come off the bench in some situations. But for the most part, I think, you know, Peyton Pritchard is going to be that first guard off the bench. And I think he's qualified to handle that. Like, that, that is not my primary concern, right? My primary concern is with the front court depth that we are facing because, Now, behind Kristaps Porzingis and Al Horford, we have absolutely no bigs. Like, you know, even before we made this deal, when we were looking at a lineup of, you know, obviously we had, you know, what, Brogdon and and White and then the Jays. And then we had Kristaps, you know, Al Horford and Rob Williams. Even that front court depth didn't feel super sustainable to me because Rob and Kristaps are always hurt. And Al is like, what, like 36, 37 years old at this point in time you know i still was hoping that this team was going to pick up a young dependable big man that could eat up minutes during the regular season to survive up until the playoffs like that's what i was hoping for before and now i think we are in desperate need of that like obviously i'm very excited for the upside and i think our starting five is as talented as any starting five in the entire nba but that being said there is some very real issues with our front court depth because uh, we all saw Luke Cornett played last year. You know, I'm sure he belongs on an NBA roster, preferably as like a, you know, between a 12th and a 15th guy. If he's your eighth or ninth or 10th guy, that is like again your, you know, backup backup center, if you will. Like that is horrible. That is a horrible spot to be. Like outside of Peyton Pritchard, you know, Sam Hauser, like I and and of course Al Horford, like those eight guys, I could see playing in a playoff rotation. If you ask me anyone beyond that, like, and we need people beyond that to survive in the regular season, we don't really have anybody we can trust. You know, maybe O'Shea Brissett steps up and he can give us more wing depth. You know, maybe Blanton from Toronto can be like a, a, you know, forward guard hybrid thing off the bench. Like that could work as well. You know, we just don't know. We don't know what we have in Jordan Walsh yet. Um, That being said, I would expect this team, we do have some flexibility. We have some picks we can work with. I'm not sure if there's any trade exceptions left over that we can use. But, you know, usually during the season, I I think it is easiest to acquire a big man for cheap. I just, I hope we don't wait too long. Like, I I do understand that Al and Kristaps are healthy as is, but... You know, not that I'm too worried with how we perform in the regular season. We should be able to win games, you know, missing one of those two guys anyway. But it's just going to be tough. And I just want to, you know, reduce the workload on Al and Kristaps as much as humanly possible. They are the ones I'm most concerned about um, as far as, you know, what we are putting on their bodies, what we are doing as far as wear and tear during the regular season. I'm more concerned about those two than anybody else. But as a whole, I again, I think the ceiling of this team just continues to be raised, right? Like it was a... The Marcus Smart trade, just to go back to it real quick, that, you know, that was a deal that I think lowered our floor, you know, just to be fair. Because again, if Kristaps gets hurt, knock on wood, like that puts us in a really tough spot. And Marcus Smart was always out there for us. And again, I think this deal is more of the same. You're taking two good players and you're turning them into one really special player. We have to hope that the depth can sustain, you know, doing a two for one when the team was already a little bit thinner than what it was last year. So again, I think that this starting five, you know, again, the lineup of Derek White, Drew Holiday. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Christoph Sporzingis, I think, when healthy, I think that is the most talented starting five in the NBA. I don't even really think it's all that close, to be honest with you. I know there's some really other good teams out there in Milwaukee and Denver and Phoenix, but that is a team from top to bottom that I think makes sense from a basketball perspective. It makes sense what we're going to be able to do defensively, where, you know, one through four our guys can switch pretty seamlessly and then have somebody that's seven foot three in the middle to protect the rim and and impact people driving in the hoop. Like I just think this team makes a lot of sense. And again, being healthy is is always going to be the the deciding factor for a team like this. But um, I think this team has the makings to win a championship, and I think that that's just about the expectation at this point in time for the Boston Celtics. I love this move, and I think it gets us one step closer, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun when we play the Bucs, too. I think that'll be a-, a blast having Drew play against his old team. I think Milwaukee's easily our biggest competition in the East, of course, with them picking up Dame as well. And I got a lot of Bucks fans these days, and I look forward to talking smack when that time comes. So... Let's move on to the final team. The spotlight has been on for the past three months, wondering when Portland was going to pull the trigger and finally move on from Damian Lillard. How did they do? I would give Portland an A+. And I know that I've come out and it's been a love fest for, you know, Milwaukee. And and it's been a love fest for the Celtics. Uh, It was pretty harsh on the Suns. And here we are with the Blazers again. But I think if there was any clear winner of this entire, you know, both of these deals, it would be Portland because nobody was envious of, of the spot that Portland was in, right? They have a superstar player that's aging, that's extremely unhappy, that's under contract. And not only that, it's a superstar player in Damian Lillard that was demanding to be sent to one other team with assets that did not match what Portland needed, right? You know, realistically, the best offer that people were looking at, uh, that, you know, Portland was looking at to receive from Miami was like, you know, Tyler Harrow, as well as some, some draft compensation, like... That does not get the job done. Like, and again, let's remind everybody that Portland's in a spot where their three best assets besides Damian Lillard were already guards. You know, it's Scoot Henderson, who they just took with the third pick in the draft. It's, you know, Shaden Sharp, who they just drafted, you know, in, in early first round in last year's draft. And it's Anthony Simons, who's been really solid for them over the past couple seasons. Those are the, you know, the centerpieces of the team. Again, mainly just Scoot and Sharp, right? They did not want to bring in a Tyler Hero. That does not fit what they want to do. They're not contending for anything in the West. They just want to see what they have in their young guys and let those guys develop. So Hero does not make any sense. And the draft capital that you're going to get from Miami, you know, that team is so good. That organization is so well put together. They never really bottom out. So it's really hard to, to believe that you would be receiving picks that would enter the top 15, you know, within the next five, six, seven years, right? So they're just kind of stuck there and everyone's like, oh, well, it's pretty inevitable that they're going to go, you know, that Dame's going to end up going to Miami because, you know, he's having his agent tell people that he only wants to play there. And if any other team trades for him, they're going to be trading for an unhappy superstar. But obviously Portland's like, hey, you know, what's the rush? You know, we know that Dame is not Ben Simmons, right? Dame loves playing basketball. Once the season starts, he's going to get that itch. He doesn't want to sit out. He doesn't want to have this turn into a Ben Simmons, Le'Veon Bell situation. He wants to play ball. And so he's going to want to do so on a team that's going to help, you know, contend for a championship. And sure enough, Milwaukee comes out of the woodwork. You know, Giannis just applies some pressure on the front office. You know, they get clearance from Dame and, and boom, he's sent off to play for the Milwaukee Bucks instead of the Miami Heat. And what did they get for Damian Lillard altogether? They got DeAndre Ayton, Rob Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, three first-round picks, two first-round pick swaps, a dart throw, and Kamara, that guy that the this you know the Suns took with their second-round pick in this last year's draft. And it's worth noting as well that they got rid of Nurkic, who was on a pretty sizable contract, who they viewed as a negative asset as well. That is a massive haul. You are literally getting three real NBA players in Ayton, Rob Williams and Brogdon and you're getting three first two swaps and a dart throw. Like I would say, even if you only got eight Rob Williams and Malcolm Brogdon for what you can flip those assets into that by itself, minus a draft compensation is better than anything that Miami was, was paying for them. And so yet again, we see in these situations where the superstar seems to have all the power You know, the teams that have stayed patient in these situations, it's paid off. You know, it paid off for for Daryl Morey and and Ben Simmons, and I know that that situation is not aging well because, again, as you guys remember, you know, Daryl Morey was dealing with an unhappy Ben Simmons. He waited, he waited, he waited a full, like, basically what, like, you know, seven months of him being unhappy before finally shipping him off. And he got back James Harden in return. Now, I know, you know, they're going through their own drama and and Daryl and James have their own beef right now, but that's still a hell of a trade for a player that has has played in a handful of games since that move even took place, as regardless of what you think of Harden. You know, that was the right move to stay patient, wait for a better deal to come about in that situation. And it's the same thing here with Damian Lillard. So again, I think that this is incredible for Portland. I love that they... Above all else, like the draft capital, I'm not going to sit here and say it's great. Like it's three first round picks, and you know one of those is a Warriors pick, another is a Bucks pick, and another is a Celtics pick. Uh, those are obviously three of the best teams in the NBA and three of the best run organizations in the NBA. So you don't love getting first round picks for those teams, but I would say that you know picks are picks, right? They're they're obviously lottery tickets. They have a lot of value. But that being said. You want to have a floor to this deal in getting young assets, and they were able to do that. I think Aiton is the perfect target for a team like Portland to see if they can not rehabilitate him, right, but kind of get him back in the same trajectory he, he was in his first year or two in the league. I think that obviously Rob Williams is somebody that we've seen as Celtics fans you know, firsthand has a ton of potential, especially defensively. You know, I'm not convinced on the fit of Rob Williams next to DeAndre Ayton, but I think either of those guys on their own are going to be pretty tradable, right? So uh, Bob's on a pretty good contract. I know that. So that being said, like, you know, they'll be pretty easy to flip if that fit doesn't really work out. And and most importantly, first of all, they're not done. They're not done trading, right? I, I, I highly doubt they enter the season with Malcolm Brogdon. As we just said, Portland's pretty guard heavy. They don't really need another veteran guard to eat up minutes. Uh, it does help to have a veteran in the locker room, right? And I think Brogdon, you know, by all accounts, he seems like a good guy, even though he wanted to get out of Boston after they, you know, fake traded him in that deal with the Clippers as part of the original Kristaps deal. Uh, but that being said, I, I would expect them to move on from Brogdon. Maybe they even recoup another first round pick down the road or at least somebody younger that can play the wing position that'll fit their team um, and get a dart throw there. I think that would make sense. But, you know, above all else, they are now in the green. They are now heading into the season with a fresh start. They don't have the Dame Cloud like hanging over their heads. I think it actually helps Dame's image that he was cool with going to Milwaukee that was able to offer a more competitive package. Um because I think that now it's like, you know, we kind of look back on those Damian Lillard years a little bit more fondly, knowing that even though he was a massive pain in the ass over the past seven months, you know, the fact that they were able to get real value for him and then, you know, hopefully there's some Portland fans out there that are rooting for Dame to win with Milwaukee. I think that helps that situation. And now You know, you're really giving the keys over to your young guys. It's a new era of Trailblazers basketball, right? It's going to be Scoot and Sharp's team. It's going to be really fascinating to see how they play alongside Aiton. Um, So I, I like this team a lot. And I think that they are the biggest winner of these deals over the last couple of days. But finally, there is one more team that I want to talk about. And it's a deal that, you know, notoriously did not make a move over the past 48 hours or over the past week or so. And that's the Miami Heat. And I think it's going to be really fascinating as more and more articles pop out and more and more stories come out of exactly how this all played down. But it seems like Miami, you know, I don't know if they never really wanted Damian Lillard in the first place, but, you know, they might have just got cute and let Dame slip through their fingers, right? Like, you know, maybe they, he didn't really fit what they wanted in heat culture, but I felt like Miami and Milwaukee were in pretty similar situations where they could have both used the services of Damian Lillard, like you know, Dame's obviously an incredible player and I know he's getting up there and I know his contract is massive, but, you know, there's something to be said about having a a truly elite difference maker in the NBA. Uh, And he, you know, I know he's old, but he really, we haven't seen him hit that decline yet. Last year was arguably the best statistical season of his career. Like, I felt like Miami, if you swap out Kyle Lowry and, and turn some other assets into him, like that's a massive upgrade for that team the same way that it would be for Milwaukee. I think both of those teams are really sound defensively. They have true... Alphas' true leaders and Jimmy Butler and Giannis. That being said, it, it something about having Damian Lillard like a, a certified killer as like your number two uh, would make that team really formidable. So I don't know if they just didn't want him or they really, you know, embraced how much leverage they had in that situation and thought that that, you know, the offer that Portland was going to accept was just going to get lower and lower as the season came along. But I thought that this is is a massive loss for the Heat that they didn't get Damian Lillard, and then afterward to not get Drew Holiday either because, you know, again, when I was about to record this podcast yesterday morning, I was sitting there thinking like, okay, you know, Portland hasn't traded Drew Holiday yet, so we'll really evaluate, you know, what the total compensation is, you know, for Portland at the end of that deal, but if I had to pick a spot, I bet he ends up going to Miami, and I bet that they try to upgrade that Kyle Lowry spot and throw in some draft picks and make the salaries work, and the next thing you know, you know, Drew Holiday's on the heat, which would be terrifying to me as a Celtics fan, but, you know, they didn't get him either. It seems like Boston came in with the most Competitive offer, They weren't messing around with that. And now here we are, you know, it seems like the heat, it's pretty difficult to make the argument. That they didn't get worse, right? Like you obviously see them, you know, they draft Jamie Jacquez. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I could be totally off the guy from UCLA. They draft him in the late first round, who seems to be a great fit and was pretty dominant in the summer league. You would think an, another full off from Jovic. Uh, who they drafted last year, I think could be pretty beneficial. And you hope that those two guys can take a real spot in the rotation. You're getting a guy like Tyler Hero back who missed basically the entirety of the playoffs. So there are some things to be optimistic about. But you also lost Gabe Vincent, who at times was the second best offensive player for large stretches of that finals run. You know, you're also losing Max Struess, who I couldn't stand him. But look, he was a consistent role player for that team who made big shots and defended at a higher level than a guy like Duncan Robinson. It's just hard to see how this Heat team got better, especially when you look at, you know, the fact that I believe that Milwaukee and Boston clearly got more competitive. Um, so it's really frustrating. And I think that it was super lame as well that Jimmy Butler, you know, came out and basically, you know, was trying to tattle on the Bucks for tampering with Damian Lillard. Like, I, you know how ridiculous you sound right now, dude? Like, your front office had every opportunity, you know, basically since, what, June, to trade for Damian Lillard? Like, it's October now, dude. You guys had that... M- that three four month window where you guys could have had Damian Lillard for predictably a lower a much lower price than what the Bucks. Uh, and Celtics combined to to trade for him, like, it it just, it really doesn't make sense to me whatsoever, and no shit, if you're going to be trading for an unhappy superstar, if the Bucs didn't tamper and try to figure out if Dane was actually going to play and be happy playing for Milwaukee once they acquired him, if they didn't do that beforehand, that would have been malpractice on the front office, I don't care if it's called tampering, that's just how you gotta be in the modern NBA, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, it's not tampering, and for for a guy like Jimmy that's played enough big games and has a pretty impressive legacy and has a lot of respect around the league. I thought it was pretty lame for him to call out and cry tampering, but that kind of does it on my thoughts on obviously the four teams involved in this deal, as well as a little bonus segment on the Miami heat. We'll see if they pile some assets together and make a move to, to shake things up before the start of the season. But just with how close we are to to tip off at this point, I would kind of doubt that the heat roster looks dramatically different. um, Once the start of the season rolls around, but overall, I think this is a great deal for the league. I'm, I'm very happy about how this played out. I'm happy of how it played out for my favorite team. But again, I had this part written out before I knew the Celtics were getting Drew Holiday. I just think in general, it is awesome that Dame is a massive figure in the league. He stomped his feet, he made a scene, he said, I want to be traded, and I want to be traded to only the Miami Heat, and he did not get his way. Because as we all see, we're setting precedents for this player empowerment movement, it seems like every single offseason and every single trade deadline, it seems like the demands get a little bit more outlandish, they push the envelope more and more, and so if he had gotten his way and got sent to Miami, and especially if the compensation package was not good in return this would have been a really bad look for the league. And it we would have been at a much higher risk of ridiculous superstar demands of people under contract coming along uh, more and more often. And I think in general, that's terrible to, for the league. So I'm glad he didn't get his way. I, I do think Dame is a very, very talented player. And I think he deserved to ask for a trade based on everything he did for Portland. Uh, but with how specific his demands were, those, that, that was terrible for the league. And so the fact that that did not happen was great. And these were genuinely two extremely entertaining deals that affect you know, three of the the top teams in the league. Like, I think if we're being completely fair and unbiased, I think there's a top four teams in the league talent-wise. I think on that list, it would be Boston. I think it would be Milwaukee. And I think in the West, it would be Denver. And it would be Phoenix. And so three of these teams look, you know, pretty significantly different after these moves. Um so I'm here for it man. I think everybody's kind of loading up the clip, they're getting excited for this season. Um I cannot wait. Again, I'm so grateful uh for this pool in the content desert that we just received over the past week. That means that the season is officially, at, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel where we can feel it approaching. I can't wait. Thank you guys for sticking with me during this uh long explanation on my thoughts and and the implications of these deals, but again, I think this is great for the league. I think it's great for, you know, basically all the teams involved except for the Phoenix Suns. Sorry Suns fans. But that being said, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, appreciate you guys listening to this episode as always. Be sure to follow At Words with Wallace on everything, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like the show, share a show, tell a friend, all that good stuff. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.